everyone. Welcome back to the Coach's Journey podcast, episode 16. It's Robbie here. And in this episode, I catch up with Jamie Smart, who is a Sunday Times bestselling author, a speaker, and a coach. Um, in 2003, Jamie started what became one of the world's leading NLP product businesses. We get into a little bit about what NLP is in the episode, if, you, if you're not familiar with it. And in that business grew a tribe of over 80,000 people who loved his articles and personal development products. But in this episode, we explore how moments of profound realisation and insight have brought Jamie where he is today, including how he found himself wanting more when running Salad, which was the NLP business, um, the decision to make a career out of public speaking and things like that, despite having a big fear of it, and why he stopped at teaching NLP to focus on the principles behind clarity. Um, and Clarity is one of the one of the five books Jamie's written. The others include Results, um, which you know, which is the one that he recommends people start with to um, to get into his work. But he also does work with individuals, with businesses, um, runs professional development workshops, training for coaches, and we, we get into a load of that in this episode. And he's appeared on Sky TV and the BBC and numerous um, publications, including the Daily Telegraph. And one of my favourite, because I'm a football obsessive. One of my favourite Jamie Smart stories is that when Daniel Sturridge scored his first hat-trick for Liverpool, um, he went into the, the post-match uh, interviews holding a copy, a copy of Clarity and saying that that, that book was why he uh, had found that, um, that the, the clarity to, to perform at a higher level. Um, so I want to say that it was a real, such a pleasure to have this conversation with Jamie, as I, you'll hear from near the start. Like, I you know, a lot of the things that, that Jamie says and believes have had a big impact on me. I was He was kind of one of the first people whose mailing list I would read over and over again after my friend Dom recommended it when I was just kind of understanding a little bit more about the coaching world um, and gave me, he gave me some of the foundations. This is all just through the, his generosity and his emails and videos and audios and things gave me some of the foundations that helped me believe in coaching, but also the ways that I work. Um, and if you've um, heard the references in earlier episodes and videos I've made in the past about um, phrases of enrollment language that I use and coach the way I think about coaching packages, a lot of that came from came from Jamie. So he, whether, although he didn't know it necessarily before this call, he, before this episode, he has been a big part of my journey. It's also worth saying that he gets a really beautiful thank you in the back of the book, The Prosperous Coach. Um, if people, uh, for people who like that book, and um, Rich Litvin, who who was one of the authors of that, says, I think I think the first ever bit of coaching he did on a beach in Thailand for like a couple of dollars um, an hour or something, he was using some Jamie Smart coaching cards, which are probably a salad product from back in the day. Um, so it's it's really worth uh, having a listen. I hope you get that feel for my enthusiasm for this interview. Um, Jamie has great kind of phrasage and storytelling and and those stay with me and I still use some of his ideas right now he has definitely has that about him as a coach um, but we also get straight into some really good practical stuff about enrolling clients and we come back towards that um to that towards the end of the episode for even more detail um I love Jamie's energy in this conversation. Just listen to the cadence, the way he slows down when he's sometimes talking about, I don't know if it's the deeper or the more important ideas, or but it's really beautiful to listen to. Before we dive into the interview, it's also worth saying that um, Marsha Reynolds, who was the guest on episode 14 of the podcast, if you haven't um, listened to that, you definitely check it out. Uh, she mentioned in that episode that she's running a new 
coach training program this autumn about called Breakthrough Coaching. And just I wanted to let you all know that there are some opportunities this month, September 2020, to get a, onto a free masterclass with Marsha. You know, one of the total pleasures about doing this um, podcast is to get to spend some time one-on-one uh, with people, real masters of the craft like Jamie today, but also like like Marsha Reynolds Um and, you know, in my journey, definitely a thing that I would do all the time as I, especially starting out, tried to develop myself and, and my coaching business was to get into a live space with real masters of the craft. Jamie is that. Can't wait to introduce you to him. But so is Marsha Reynolds. She was the fifth president of ICF and um, is Global Guru's number five coach in the world. Um, and the masterclasses this month... Um, are the keys to breakthrough coaching. So some great stuff in there that she's promising to deliver, like how to ask the tough questions that lots and lots of coaches avoid and something that's really close to my heart, how and when to break the rules of coaching if your client needs something different. Um, So there's a link to register for that masterclass in the show notes here, um, you know, or or wherever you're reading this um, or at thecoachesjourney.com on the the Jamie Smart and Marsha Reynolds episode pages. Um, And yeah, definitely recommend checking out episode 14 if you haven't already. Um, After that is, you have a wonderful two hours of in the company of Jamie Smart. Now, I was trying to get decades of insight out of Jamie and and his storytelling and his ideas, the way he processes and builds insights is is really um, beautiful. So inevitably in this episode, we can't get to everything. Um, Even in two hours, we'll have to come back for another episode sometime soon. So that's enough from me for now. Um, But I really hope you enjoy episode 16 of the Coach's Journey podcast with the wonderful um, Jamie Smart. Jamie Smart, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Thanks. Nice to have, uh, uh, nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) We were were just talking before this, uh, before we kind of did the proper start about, um, what might get edited out, but that is that is definitely that's staying in. That's gold. Yeah. That's there for the duration. I I can. Uh, what I do like to do is set a really low standard for the quality <laughs> of speaking, so it all gets better from here. Yeah, nice, nice, Jamie. Like I, would, you know, it's really nice to have you on the, on the podcast. I was kind of making a bit of reference to this early on, but I've been thinking recently about. Um, like it's been five years since I started my coaching business and I did a bit of celebrating earlier in the year and I chose to celebrate from um, the first time that someone paid me for um, a paid client. Uh, I did some coaching with a paid client the first time that happened. But if I'd chosen to um, uh, celebrate five years from the uh, first expenditure that I ever charged to my coaching business, it would have been uh, a ticket to a workshop of yours that we were just talking about Thanks, at man. Regents University. Um, I think actually, it, technically, it would have been a notebook that I bought on the way to that workshop. But it's, it's I like nice. your I like the original version better. <laughs> and so, like, it's really nice to have you here because I, you know, I've definitely benefited. This is the first time we've spoken in this way, but I've definitely benefited in a bunch of different ways from the the things you've you teach, both the the ideas uh, that you've brought in through your all your different work and particularly some of the things that you teach coaches about how to grow a business and, and how to structure engagements and all that kind of thing. And, you know, the, I, there's still some things that I, I'm pretty sure that I say in enrollment conversations that I first heard from you four or five years ago. Um, and it's nice to say that, well, one, to, for listeners, so they know that it's the work you do. I really believe in it. I think it's great. But also for you to know that, the you know, we've never even met before and the ripples of your work are rippling out into the world and via me to clients and all that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I really like that. And it, it's funny, you know, it means a lot to me. And, and here's why. A lot of times, and you probably experienced this yourself, you know, you'll do a talk or you'll do a workshop. And, and because when you're doing something you're good at, it's really normal for people to go, wow, that was really good. And so I'm like, thank you. And I appreciate it and that sort of thing. But what I really appreciate it is, is when someone learns something from me and then they go use it. They go do something with it. They, they make something happen as a result of that. So I love hearing what you just said, you know, knowing that you're enrolling clients or whatever in, in part because of things that have made sense to you that you've heard and that I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you're right. It's like, there is something about that, isn't it? Like, I really like it when clients say, thanks so much for this work in whatever way the work is. But what's super cool is when you hear that two years later, they're still thinking about the yeah. things you spoke about and, 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 and taking action along the lines of what, you know, what was, what, what we worked on or, or all those, yeah. all those kind of things. Well, that's true. Like a lot of times the things that you're doing in coaching, you know, sometimes there's stuff that it's very quick wins and that sort of thing, but often it's the more, the, the stuff that actually has a bigger impact is the stuff where you don't even see the the uh, results for a couple of years, where it's the foundational stuff that means that a whole new direction becomes available or whatever it might be. So yeah, yeah, I can totally relate. Yeah, and in a minute, I want to kind of go back in your journey, journey a little bit and kind of reflect on how you came to coaching and, and this kind sure. of work that you do now. But just when you said that, it, it, it gets me interested because that's something that sometimes I think, especially for new coaches starting out, but, but, but you know, including myself in that five years in, I definitely have this sometimes. In the moments when I'm kind of like those long-term shifts, you don't necessarily see them and f you, can, you can feel them with the clients in the moment, but I'm not sure that I always know which are the ones. I'm not sure this is true. Maybe I do know on a deeper level, but I guess what I'm curious about is when we do work, which is can be transformational and can take two years to really kind of spread out into the, into the person's life. And that's amazing to be doing, but we don't necessarily see that until we get the email from people occasionally or whatever it is. I guess there's just something there, isn't it? That for me makes, especially when we're starting out in a business like this, it a bit difficult because we're not always seeing the true depth and power of our work firsthand. Well, it, it's funny. It, it and we'll get into kind of, I expect we'll get into some of the, some of that stuff. It, it really depends on the nature of the work you're doing and, and the, what I really like to do, like I, I make no mistake, make no, no secret of it. When I'm doing one-to-one -one work with someone, almost without exception, there are exceptions, but it's almost without exception. I only work with people over the course of a year. So there are a couple of exceptions to that, but that's my, for for one to one work. It's a year because I love to see those big transformations. And when people work with me, my kickoff is typically a three. When they work with me one to one, my kickoff with them is a three day intensive, because what I find is in a three day intensive, there's so much transformation can take place. Because I like the deep long-term effect, but I like to get the instant gratification as well. And so it's why if I'm like, if I'm doing a three month program or a seven month program with a group, I'll do, I'll build stuff in so that they get really, really transformational results early, but actually we're doing the foundational work as well. Cause you know, I'm the same way. I love me a bit of instant gratification. I, 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 
while I am a great fan of the power and importance of long-term commitment to, you know, transformation, all that sort of stuff, I get bored easily. I like a little short-term gain and all that sort of stuff. So I build that into everything I do. And I, and I, part of my philosophy to coaching, we'll, we'll get to this. I'm, it's funny, maybe we'll have time to talk about it. I, when I'm putting together packages for clients or pricing up a package, while the starting point with that is what, what's the result the client wants. That's to me, that's the most important thing when deciding what kind of package, how long a package, uh, what kind of engagement, how much you charge, all, how are you going to do it? All that stuff. That's the first thing I have five questions and that's the first one. What's the result the client wants, but the other four questions are all about the coach. So what result does the client want? Got to get crystal clear on that. Cause unless the, you know what the client wants, they're not going to pay you to, to just cause they like your company or your hairstyle or whatever. The reason, uh, people hire coaches is because the coach has helped them get present to some result that really matters to them. You know, so I'll, when I'm having an initial enrollment conversation, I'll be asking questions like, uh, what would you love to have happen? And often people haven't even given that much thought or they're thinking about what they want to get away from. Or so I'll get into, you know, after a while we'll get into, well, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and you have everything in your life the way you want it to be, how would you know that my magic wand had worked? And then they start to, you know, or, you know, the miracle question, if there were a miracle tonight and you wake up tomorrow and everything's exactly the way you want it to be, you know, whether it's in your life or your relationships or your work or your coaching practice or, or all of it, you know, different people have different contexts, but I'll ask, you know, if, 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 I, if there were a miracle tonight, you wake up tomorrow morning, everything's the way you want it to be. How would you know a miracle had taken place? What would you see? What would you hear? What would you feel? What would you know? What would you experience that would let you know miracles taken place? And people start to reflect on that and they, and they start to wake up to what really, really matters to them. Well, that's a crucial piece of enrolling a coaching client because that's what they're going to be paying their money for. They're not going to be paying their money because you've got a nice desk or something. They, they want their results, their transformations. Now that's their going to be their responsibility as well. You can't do it for them, but that's, that's the motivator. So that's got to be your first question they, until you know the answer to that, until you're clear on that with your client going into the other questions doesn't make sense. But then the other questions, they're all about the coach. Like, is that something you can do? Is that something you can help them with? <laughs> uh, uh, what's it going to take to help them with that? You know, is it going to take, you know, the rest of your life? Is it going to take six weeks? Is it going to take two hours in the year out? Uh, Whatever it's going to take, is that something you want to do? You know, and and then how much would you have to be char charging to be delighted to do it? You know, so there, all of those are about the coach. And so a big part of my approach to coaching is, yes, absolutely be focused on the clients and serving the clients or what is it they want to have. But then everything else is, how can I enjoy myself in the process? How can I make this as much fun for me? Because I want to be enjoying my work. And how can I make it challenging and exciting and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's great to hear that. And I love that 
that sense. And I think that in some ways that's what enables us to build the business that's sustainable, right? Yeah, exactly. Rather than getting, you know, which I think is common for a lot of people when they, you know, is you get, you, you, you know, you change jobs or you change careers into coaching and then all the same problems are there. And it's because you haven't essentially, or I haven't, I'm speaking for myself, it's because at first I hadn't taken responsibility for that, those questions two, three, four, and five or something like that in that, in that process. Well, and Robbie, just to, just to clarify, like, that that two three four one two three four and five in those questions that's been kind of 20 years of getting clearer and clearer on this the reason i love sharing this with coaches because it's like i've spent like what i started doing this in 98 when coaching was you know that was a long time ago but i figured out a lot of stuff so other people don't have to so uh and i love that you know the world needs more of this kind of mindset and uh, focus yeah, it's really interesting. My my dad was a therapist in the 80s, and then he stopped doing that um, for various reasons. But I showed him a video. It's a Rich Litman video, actually, but it could easily have been one of yours. And in the video, Rich was, you know, essentially doing what you're saying, right? He was sharing a, a whole bunch of experience that he'd built up over not quite as long as you, but like maybe a decade at the time. And my dad was just like, God, it's amazing that this stuff is available now. Yeah. If this kind of thing had been available when I was running my therapy business in the 80s, it would have been a completely different thing. And it's, yeah. it's really wonderful that people like you, people like Rich, you know, are creating and sharing that. Yeah. All, all that learned wisdom. Really. Yeah. Beautiful. Why'd your dad leave the field? Uh, it's a good question. We'd have to ask him, really. I think, you know, there was a few reasons. One was that it was hard. I don't even know how to get a hold of him. Can you ask him for me? I will. I will. Thanks. I'm sure. Well, maybe I'll listen to this and he can he, he can reach out and let you know. It was a few things. You know, it was a combination of um, that, that it was difficult, that that, you know, that thing that coaches often find happens, I think, which well, is he loved the work, but the business side of it yeah. he didn't love or he wasn't quite, it, it wasn't making enough money to work mm-hmm. and and there was a family thing as well. There was how do him and my mum provide for us, right? You know, and actually, it, uh, there was a point at which it made much more sense for him to to move his work um, into a more traditional job. But uh, but definitely, I've uh, benefited from that from that experience that he had and that person yeah. he was. You know, it's one of those things. My mum was a counsellor for about twenty years as well, and so. Is one of those things we have a little joke these days. My sister is actually thinking of doing some counseling training right now. My brother right. works for Coaches Rising, which we were talking about before. So it's clearly the family business. And it's yeah. not surprising given given what they've done that, that I ended up yeah. nice having conversations one. with people. Um, Jamie, while we are um, while you started opening the door to how you work with clients and what those engagements look like, it, it, I want to jump in there. I know that people will be curious. So when you're working with, I don't know how many, maybe you could tell us this, like how many, how does your, there's, let me check. So Shall I answer the of, question you're not asking? <laughs> no, no, let me, I'm, I'm going to get to it, but I'm just, I just want to frame it because yeah, yeah. It's like one of the things I love about your business is that it is, there's a real ecosystem there. And so, you know, people sometimes call me prolific, but you know, anyone who's ever called me prolific needs to check out Jamie's website and see the two podcasts and all the different programs that are there. And so I know there's a lot of different, four, four books, I think. I know there's a lot of different. Um, five, actually. Five. Amazing. Yeah. And what's the fifth one then? The, the clarity, five, little cl- clarity, little book of clarity, results, little book of results, and the thriving coaches scorecard is the fifth ah, book. I'll, I'll, I'll run and grab a coffee, a copy of it during the, during the break. I'll wave it at the screen so you can see it. We, nice. it's all, there's a story about that, which maybe will, it's a, actually a really relevant story to coaches. So make sure to ask cool. about that one. W- will do. Um, 
And what I was going to say, though, is I don't know, given all that, given that there's a real ecosystem to your business and you're trying to have impact in lots of ways, you know, the first part of the question is how much of your work now is working one on one with people? Got it. And then when you're doing that, what's the way that I, there may not be a common way because you may be answering those five questions in different ways for different people. But mm. how, what does that tend to look like? Who are the people that you love working with and what's exciting you about your one on one work? Yeah. So, well, there, there are two things. It's funny, actually. So I had the final module of the 2020 Clarity Certification Training last weekend. And at the beginning of that, it was a, we, we end the program with a summer camp. So there is, you know, it was a large group of people like uh, 40 something people because uh, we had our coaches and then we had the senior students and the advanced students and all that sort of thing. So we've got a big group of people all on Zoom. We do almost everything online these days, uh, which is probably worth us talking about as well, because I think that's really important for coaches. Uh, so we've got about, I don't know, 50 people or, or so in the group. And at the beginning of the three days, he says, so this is your chance. You know, we've gone through this program. We're now at the last module. Ask me anything. I'll build it into this weekend because I've got a structure, but I'm also improvising. And one of the things people said is like, well, tell us about, you know, your business journey and, the, you know, the launches you do and that sort of thing. And so I did that and I, I told the story from when I first got into this stuff to when I changed direction, because I used to have an NLP training company. And then in 2009, I had some insights and I did a 180 and went in a completely different direction. So we're talking all through that. And then after afterwards, I was reflecting on it because people were going, wow, that looks, you know, that's a lot, that's hard and that sort of thing. And then the next morning I, I realized what there's something I hadn't said. I said to them, guys, the stuff I'm doing, you don't need to do that to build a coaching business. I wasn't doing that to build a coaching business. I was doing that to establish a new field. That's my, my, my work isn't build a coaching practice. My work is establish a field, which includes supporting coaches in their business development and in their impact as a coach and in their personal well-being. But it's also a, 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 a new, a completely new paradigm for psychology like the stuff we're working with at clarity is to well my assertion is like i'll ask your listeners to assess this for yourself my assertion is that this is to psychology what the discovery of germs was to medicine so the discovery of germs not just the discovery but the widespread acceptance of germ theory uh was one of the major contributors to adding an average of 30 years to the human lifespan globally so, so that's amazing. That's unprecedented in human history. And this understanding that we're working with in clarity coaching is to psychology what the discovery of germs was to medicine. So we're seeing game-changing transformations. In fact, one of the things we did, because we were online, we couldn't uh, do a standard certificate ceremony, which we'd normally do, hand out the certificate, get a picture, that sort of thing. So instead, we just got everyone to say, to take a minute just to say what had changed for them over the last seven months. And one of the things one person said, and then everyone was kind of, yeah, that. They said, the best stuff I got was stuff that I didn't even realize was on the menu. Not just didn't realize was on the menu as a coach, didn't realize was on the menu in life. And that that's because this understanding opens up a whole new domain for people. So, so when I first came to it in 2009, 
people were referring to it as the best kept secret is in psychology. So this is after the founder of that field, well, may talk about this. He died in 2009, just, just after I arrived. Um, and I went to a conference and there were like a hundred people there who were the people who were interested in this stuff. The average age was over 60. Uh, they were all saying how difficult it is to get people interested in this stuff. And I knew Robbie, that the biggest challenge any movement has is outliving the death of the founder. Most, most movements never do. And I got there, this was in Florida. I get to this conference. I'm like, guys, you have the best thing. You have the best product in the world, the best thing in the world. Uh, but you just don't know how to, you don't know how to, you don't know how to be people interested in it. They said, no, no, it's very difficult to get people interested in it. I'm like, hold my beer, watch. <laughs> and so I literally spent the next decade trying to establish this as a field. And so, you know, my first book, uh, Clarity, that, that was the first best-selling book about this understanding. My second book, Results, just we're lucky I have them here. Normally I'm not this organized. Results is the first Sunday Times bestseller about this understanding. And then I walked into a... Uh, I walked into a WH Smith. So in the UK, WH Smith's the biggest bookseller. I walked into a WH Smith's a couple of years ago, and there in their top 10 nonfiction, number one was Clarity. Number two was Instant, Instant Motivation by Chantal Burns, who was one of my first coaching clients when I moved to this way of understanding. Uh, further down the list, but in the top 10 was Michael Neal's book, The Inside Out Revolution. So three out of the top 10 books in WH Smith were about this understanding. I'm like, fuck yeah, we've done it. They, we just, we've started, not that it's established, but we've moved it from, it's really difficult to get people interested about this to there are three number one, three top 10 books about this understanding. Phase one is done. Let's move on. Let's move to the next phase. Amazing. And, and you know, and I, it's interesting because I was one of, well, it's one of the things I want to ask you about um, is because I came to your work about what, like five years ago, and it felt like you were in the middle of that process then. And I guess I, I'm really curious how you've seen it evolve. But first, just for people who don't know about the field you're talking about, yeah. about um, the work you do, haven't yet read, read those, those books. Um, take us back to, just to what you were doing before, maybe when you first came across coaching and how you first came to that, and then through that into, uh, if, uh, you know, we'll see where we get to, because there's all kinds of interesting ways we could go, but through that into this work that you're doing now in the field. For sure. I'll, I'll try and do the five minute version. We'll see what we can do. So my background is, um, so what age am I? I'm 55. So uh, I've been doing something for a long time. Um, I was a, IT project manager and then got into program management. So doing large programs. So I was working in large publishing companies. That was my, uh, you know, that was where I worked. And I got a job in London working for a consultancy, doing the same stuff, project management, but uh, as a consultant. And uh, at the time, um, I was, I had stopped, I had been an, al uh, an alcoholic and I'd stopped drinking in like 96 I was finding it hard going. I was in recovery, but I was finding it hard going. And, you know, there were th the work that I could do while I was drinking project management. Once I was sober, it was like, oh my God, this is so stressful. I don't like it. It's, it's not what I want to do. And I had this sense, 
there's something I'm meant to be doing, but I don't know what it is. And if only I knew what it was, I would definitely do it, right? And I got, uh, I went, went on a training course, a two-day personal development training course about NLP because I wanted to be more influential at work, something like that. So I go uh, on this Just course. for people who don't know NLP, just give us the kind of... It's called neuro-linguistic neuro programming. And it's basically sometimes described as the study of, of subjective experience. So it's how, we, and, and this kind of starting point for that field was when you look at someone who's spectacularly good at something, like a top performer, how are they doing that? And if you ask them how they're doing it, they'll tell you a story, but that's not really what they're doing. They're doing something else that they're not even consciously aware of. So NLP was all about how can you find out what's the great stuff that people are doing? And then they extended that and said, well, actually, when if you look at when people are struggling or stuck or have problems, if you model that as, a, as an extraordinary skill, how are they doing that? And so NLP was kind of the tools to do that. So anyway, how it got main is being mainstream to some degree, and and where I first came across it was communication skills and you know influence and that sort of thing. So as a consultant, I'm like, well, I'm working in London. I guess I better be influential, so I'll go and go on this course. So I go on this course, and up until that point, every work training course I'd ever been on was as boring as shit. It was things like a practical approach to data management or the Prince product project management methodology in 36 volumes, like, oh, shoot me. So, so I go on this training course and it was brilliant. The, the trainer was interesting, engaging, telling stories, doing demonstrations, running exercises. And I had two insights. Now, I didn't realize they were insights, but I had two insights this weekend. The first one was, Oh, like up until that point, Robbie, I had friends who I had a job and I had friends who were starting their own businesses or doing their own side hustles or becoming contractors or whatever. And I was kind of like, I can see why they can do that. But I've got employee DNA. I'd always had a job. And I, I just thought that I didn't know about beliefs or anything. I thought there's something different about them and there's something different about me. And that's just the way it is. If anyone ever talked to me, well, well, that's your mindset. I was like, that is hippie bullshit. And so I didn't, I didn't have any truck. Like, remember I was a boozer. Like I was, uh, I was one of those guys pounding the bar and, and I was just wanted to have a good time. Right. So I, I heard that stuff. I, and, and what I, what I heard the insight was, Oh, you can do anything you like. It may not work out, but that's okay. Like you can, you can have a go, you can try things out, you can experiment. And what I kind of saw was, I had been, on some level, I had been responsible for my life turning out the way it had. And I hadn't even known that. I had always thought that someone else was running the show. It's like, no, you've been running it all along. You've just been making odd choices. So that was amazing. So that was my first insight. I was like, oh, you can do whatever you like. I never knew that. I never knew that. That's cool. So this is like 1998. Second insight. I see this guy at the front of the room teaching people, coaching people, telling stories, amazingly engaging. I'm like, I want to do that. That, that's literally, that's what I'm here to do. But I had a problem. I was terrified of public speaking. Like I hated it. It was like my worst fear. Like, how did you, you had this fear, but how did you know that, like, what was the thing that made you know that's what I want to do? It was just an feeling. insight. It was just an insight. It was like, oh, that's it. That's, I've been, because I've been saying for years, if I knew what it is I wanted to do, I would definitely do it. 
if I, I just don't know what it is. And I was, I was honest about that. It's not like I secretly wanted to be a speaker, but I couldn't admit it to myself. I literally just didn't know. And I kind of promised myself, you know, if, if I know what it is, I'm going to do it, whatever it is, once I know. And then suddenly I knew. But that's the nature of insight and realization. You go from not knowing something to knowing it. You be, we've been all been doing that our own whole life. We've, we've got a, a, an innate capacity for insight and realization. It's built in. And so I, I, you know, I went from not knowing that that's what I wanted to do to, oh, that's it. Great. It, not, uh, now I know what I want to do, but it involves my worst fear. Great. So I, I quit my job a couple of weeks later. I lined up a contract first. So I would have the, you know, income and time freedom to go and retrain. I wanted to retrain as an NLP trainer, um, which I did. And I built a NLP training business called Salad, which was very successful, uh, created lots of products and playing cards and all kinds of stuff. And I loved it, actually. I had a great time, taught lots of people, built a tribe. Like I had a, a, a email list of like 90,000 people who were all interested in this stuff. My tagline for Salad, which is the name of the first company, was do what you love. And my idea was if you're doing stuff you love, then things will be great. And that was true to some degree. And there was a way in which it wasn't, but I didn't know it. And the way in which it wasn't was this. I got to kind of 2007, 2008, business was very successful, product income, all that sort of stuff. And I was feeling off track and like I wasn't doing what I was meant to be doing and a bit kind of unhappy. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm, I've got it all going on. Why would I be unhappy? So I read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And his, for anyone who doesn't know the premise of that book, the idea is you get your business running on autopilot and then go and have mini adventures. You basically mini retirements. And so... And so I looked at that and I thought, that's it. I'm, I'm not having enough fun. I need to be going powder skiing and going do So spent a year reorganizing the business so that I could have time freedom. So I, I wasn't, I was, you know, working uh, not four hours a week, but relatively few hours. And then I had my first mini retirement, which was a, uh, a three month ski holiday in Whistler in Canada. So I'm like, brilliant. This is going to be, this is it. I'm all set. I go flying off to Canada. I've got my skis. I've got my lift pass for three months. I'm, I'm taking, I can't remember what they were called, but like super, super lessons. So private training. So I can, cause three months you're going to become awesome at skiing and you're going to be fulfilled and happy and peaceful. And according to the rules of my industry, I would be successful. Like I would be, so there would be sun shining out of my bottom and I'd be, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> and after six weeks of that, I was miserable and uh, off track and unhappy. I was like, that's not it either. What's wrong with this picture? So I went back to the drawing board and I hired a coach. He said, I need coaching. And, uh, and that coach was Michael Neal, who I'd known for, I'd known Michael. Well, I first, so there used to be this, uh, there used to be a thing called, gosh, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was like one of these email groups that they had back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Michael at the time was doing this thing called the daily coaching tip. So he was writing like a 500 to 1,000 word article 
every single day for a year, which looked mad to me, but brilliant. And so I read, I read those and I liked it. And then when I started my business salad, I started writing a thing called the NLP tip. So I wrote one, I did, did one every week, every day looked mad to me. I did one every week. And, and one day I wrote an article, it was either one on acceptance or it was one called, uh, if, if NLP is so great, where's my Ferrari? And, uh, <laughs> nice. and Michael reached out to me and said, oh, I'm subscribing to your articles. I just wanted to tell you I really liked this one, whichever of those two it was. And I wrote back to him and said, well, actually, you gave me the idea of writing by your daily coaching tips. So we've been friends ever since. And so anyway, Michael, I back in 99... I got, this is still the story, by the way. Back in 99, I got given a, uh, a copy of a book, which I may even have here. Yeah, I've got it, called The Missing Link by Sidney Banks. Now, I was a couple of years into my journey with NLP. And as far as I was concerned, Robbie, NLP was the best thing since sliced bread. There was nothing that even came close. It was so much better. And, and the person who gave me this book I said, well, what are, you, what's, what are you doing? He said, well, we're, we're going into companies and doing kind of counseling with executives and that sort of thing. And it's based around this book. Uh, have a copy. And I was like, sounds shit. Uh, so at the beginning of the book, I was reading it. And the person who wrote the preface said, no one can read this book without being touched and inspired. And I was like, We'll see about that. So, uh, Challenge so, accepted. Yeah. No. <laughs> so I was reading it. I thought of myself as really open-minded, but actually I was open-minded about all kinds of things, but anything that didn't fit into my worldview, I was very close-minded about it. So anyway, I read the book and I was like, uh, simplistic and I tossed it. Then I was out for dinner with Michael, maybe five years later, six years later. And he mentioned that he was working with this stuff. And I was kind of like, oh, uh, I think I I think I read a book about that. I thought I think it was rubbish. Uh, I'll go check it out again. So I picked up the book again. I read it. I was like, no, it was rubbish. And uh, so then I forgot about that. And when I hired him as my coach, I forgot that he'd been looking at that stuff. And when we got into the coaching, I realized, oh, he's gone all in on this stuff. And I was like, oh my god, the check's already cleared. Uh, I guess, I guess I better, I'll just do my best to listen. So I'm listening, listening, listening. And once in a while, it was like, like, cause I'd been doing beliefs. Belief change was my thing, right? How do you change people's beliefs conversationally? Cause that's really useful for a coach. Right. And I was hearing the stuff that people were saying about this, this stuff. And they were talking about it as though it was true. And I'm like, man, that's not true. That's just beliefs. It's just beliefs. But every now and again, my head would go quiet. I was like, well, that's strange. That's unusual. It go really quiet inside. And then one day I had an insight. My first insight into this stuff. So this is 2009. My first insight was, oh, everything you've been looking for outside yourself is already there on the inside. It's already there inside you. Now, obviously not cool shoes, wristwatches, and Ferraris, those wouldn't fit, but all the uh, feelings of well-being and fulfillment and happiness and love and peace and joy and connection and well-being that I'd been looking for in 
achievement and, and not really that possession oriented, but in accomplishment and lifestyle and that sort of thing. I had the circumstances of success, but I wasn't having the experience of success because the experience of success comes from within. It can only ever come from within. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago, same year, Kate Spade sold her uh, handbag and fashion business for $450 million and then ended up killing herself the next year like because she was miserable. She had incredibly opulent circumstances. Her, she had a circumstantial lifestyle that was off the scale, but her experiential lifestyle was in the, in the gutter. Same with Anthony Bourdain. You know, he had fame, money, adulation, all this stuff. He had the circumstances of success, but he wasn't having an experience of success. So, so I, compared to those guys, I had a tiny circumstances of success, and I wasn't nearly as miserable as either of them, but I still wasn't happy with it. So suddenly, oh, you've been looking in the wrong place. It's not that there's anything wrong with money, fast cars, whatever, to fill your boots, but, but you can't find something where it isn't. You can't find something where it isn't. George Carlin, the comedian, once said, uh, looking to possessions and uh, accomplishments to give you a sense of successfulness and well-being is like taping sandwiches to your body to try and satisfy a sense of hunger. And it really makes sense to me, you know, looking in the wrong place. So that was my first insight. That changed my priority. And this came as you were being coached by Michael Neal. It was just no, like a smaller kind of moment or. So I, I hired Michael to work with me for a year and I would get on the sessions with him and I was kind of like, yeah, this is beliefs. And I, I was very challenging as a client. I'm terrible coaching clients. So I was like, man, that's just beliefs and that sort of thing. And then, and then, but once in a while, I go quiet in my head. But that and that was unusual. Like basically, it would go go kind of quiet in my head, and I kind of lost the lost the uh, motivation to keep arguing. Well, that, that's interesting because I'd never lost the motivation to keep arguing with anyone <laughs> ever. So I'm like, well, that's interesting. That first insight actually happened. So it was during my that year with Michael. That first insight happened in a dream. Like so, I was asleep, and, and it hit me. But it hit me so strong. I woke up and I just had this incredible feeling of peace and well-being. And I'm like, oh, that's come from inside. That hasn't come from anything out there in the world because I was asleep and dreaming. It's come from, it's everything you've been looking for is on the inside. So that was huge. Next insight comes maybe a month or so later. So I had a, a, a I was a member of a men's group at the time. So I had my buddies around my house. Uh, we're doing do, doing our men's group. And then at the end of it, I said, hey, could I have permission to just talk to you guys for half an hour about this new stuff I'm learning and try to give them my take on it? So they said, yeah, yeah. So we did that. And then we listened, after we were done, we listened to a recording by the guy who wrote this book, a guy called Sidney Banks. It's a 20-minute recording. So I'm kind of spaced out listening to this recording with my buddies. And all of a sudden, I have another insight, which is the fact that anyone can see or hear or feel or smell or taste or perceive the fact that anyone is even having an experience means they have the source of resilience and realization and transformation already within them that everyone already has the capacity for well-being and peace of mind and mental health already there within them, every human being. So I didn't just see it as a good idea. It's like I went from not knowing that to knowing it like you know your own name.
Like, you know, when you just know something, it's like, oh, that's just true. Well, that instantly transformed my coaching. Like my coaching suddenly completely changed. Like I've got a better way of talking about it now, but that change happened that moment. So how I talk about it now, can I tell you a quick side story? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. please do. So I, I have a, a group called the Clarity Life Community. It's a free Facebook group. And it's gone through many name changes over the years, but it's a, there's like 5,000 people in it, 80% of whom are coaches. So I do polls and put up things and that sort of thing. So I did a poll in the group, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was on the effect of what's the number one thing that you believe would make the biggest difference to the level of impact you can have with your client? It's all about making a difference to your client. What's the, what's the number one, you know, thing that shift you could go through, change you can make that would have make the biggest difference to your impact as a coach? So people voted for all kinds of things. The number one vote, like with 90% of the votes, was rock solid confidence in my abilities as a coach. So almost everyone seems to say, if I just had total confidence in myself as a coach, that would fucking nail it. Like I, it, I that would that would be the thing. At the bottom of the list, so there's like 20 or 30 things on this list. At the very bottom, with one vote from me, <laughs> was 100% certainty and confidence about your client's innate capacity for realization and transformation. See, I come across like a very confident coach, but the reason I come across as so confident is because I know where the action is, the, the, the th everything that's gonna make a difference to my client. Well, it's funny, I now say my job description, and my job description sounds really cumbersome, but I promise if I could say it with fewer words, I would. How, my, as a coach, my job is to help make it as easy as possible for my client to have the insights and realizations that are going to make a difference in their life. So my job is to help create the conditions that make it easy for my client to have insights. But I know there's nothing I can do that's going to give them an insight. There's nothing I can do that's going to make them change. That capacity resides with it at the heart of their being. And because I know that, I know that all I need to do is make it easy for that to step even more fully into their present awareness of where away to the races. So that's why, you know, if you ever watch my coaching demos, Robbie, that all often get seemingly miraculous transformations in like 10 or 15 minutes with people. But that's not... It's not that I'm not doing anything. I really, really am doing a, I do a bunch of stuff, but I know where the power is. So if I, if I needed to send a loved one for you know, therapy or change work or coaching, and I had the choice between two coaches, and one of them had superb technical skills. They knew all the best questions, and they uh, had all kinds of creativity. They were really, really good, but they didn't know about their client's innate capacity for insight, realization, and transformation, or at a coach who didn't have any technical skills, didn't know any, hardly any cool questions, or didn't even know that much about coaching. They had uh, total confidence in their client's capacity. They just knew that their client had that. I'd send them to that person. In fact, 
I was doing uh, my certification training a few years ago, and one of my clients, Christine Mitchell, so she came to the first weekend of the program. I'd never met her before, lovely Scottish woman. Um, she sits there through the first weekend, said, wow, that was amazing, goes home. Now, unbeknownst to me, she, uh, her, her mom had suffered with serious mental health issues her whole life, all the time that Christine was growing up. And Christine did fine with it. For whatever reason, she kind of didn't get any honor. But her sister had severe uh, OCD and massive issues, like massive issues that stopped her going out, stopped her, all sorts of stuff. Christine comes back from the first weekend. She's not even coaching her sister. She her sister's just asking her about what happened. She said, oh, it was amazing. It was great. Well, what did you learn? She said, well, what I learned was that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with any of us. You're not broken and you don't need fixing. Now, she wasn't coaching her sister. They were just having a conversation for a couple of hours. Like it was a long conversation. At some point in that conversation, her sister has an insight, goes, you mean there's nothing wrong with me? Bursts into tears. Her sister's made a full recovery after 40 years of severe mental health issues, being told she's never going to get well, all this sort of stuff. Now, Christine didn't have boatloads of technical skills. She wasn't even coaching her sister, but she had that rock solid confidence in the fact. No, it's not even a belief. It's like when you once you know something to be true, you can't be shaken from it. Like you know it. It's like you know. It's like if someone tried to convince you that your name is Hildegard, you'd be like, "Well, you can try, but you know what you know." So anyway, so that was my second insight, Robbie. It's like. Oh, the fact that a person even can see, hear, feel, smell, taste, experience means they already have this. Well, that just took such a weight off. Like, there's just so much less I need to do as a coach. It's like, I just wait for them to have insights. And, and, then, and then they're like, that was amazing. Thanks, Jamie. It's like, you did it. Great. Like, I'm doing something, though. It's not that I'm not doing anything. And, and, just, what, are you, and what are you doing? Like, let's, let's, let's Well, okay. On. So let me, I'll, I'll, let me zero right in on it. I'm helping create the conditions for insight. I'm help making it as easy as possible for them to have the insights and realizations that are going to make a difference to them. So then the next question is, how do you do that? And I'm happy to talk about that. Like, can we bookmark that and I'll come back to it because I just want to finish the story. But I, I would love to talk about that. I think it's one of the things uh, that I find the most, it's most, when, I, when I'm guiding coaches and therapists, one of the most valuable things they can learn. Like I would say, the two most valuable things anyone can learn are the truth of how their experience is created and who they really are. So that's fundamental to all my work. That's underpin. You know, when I'm coaching an executive who's, you know, paid me 30 grand to work with them for, uh, to do an intensive, I, that's what I'm working with them on. When someone hires me to help them uh, do whatever, they, they may have a bunch of results, but I'll be crystal with them from the get-go. It's through having insights into these two things that you're going to make changes in your world. So those are the two most valuable things a person can realize. How you help them realize that, that's, the, that's incredibly valuable. When I'm working with coaches, we start there, those two facts, and then we move to, okay, how do you create the conditions for that? How do you make it as easy as possible for your clients to have those insights and realizations? So that was my second one was the fact that a person can even see, hear, or feel means they already have this innate capacity. That's everyone. It's nothing to do with, you know, are they good at their job or anything like that? Every human being, 
every child, every adult, every uh, elderly person, everyone has it. So third insight. Here's the thing, that second insight, that transformed my coaching and just made coaching so much easier and made me so much more confident because people would be like, yeah, I was thinking that, right. It's like the, the, the bottom of your poll, you, you one vote from you is actually the thing that, it, that it's like, a, I don't know if it's like above and around the thing that everyone wanted. So it's like you, once you've got the thing at the bottom, the belief in the other person that they have it all. And suddenly of course you've got confidence because it's not about you anymore. And all those yeah, exactly. weird thoughts, they can just, you can just let them go. Exactly. And and so many, like when I'm, it's, it's funny, there, there are a lot of nuances we can get into, but when I'm, when I'm coaching someone one-to-one, I spend, and I'll tell my clients, I'll tell my one-to-one clients this, but also when I'm demonstrating it to a group of coaches, I'll tell them, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm, I'm a lot like, you'd ever see the TV show Columbo? Yep. I'm so Columbo was a kind of bumbling detective who would get there in the end. I'm kind of like Columbo. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I don't know what they should do. I don't know what I should do half the time, but I know that they have this innate capacity for insight and realization. I know these two facts about how life works and with armed with those two things, you can nail it as a coach. You can do amazing things as a coach. Go on, Robbie. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many ways we could go from here, Jamie, but what's in my mind right now is um, is like, I think that there's, that there's something really important for coaches in this in this thing that you're, I mean, there's lots of interesting things, but there's something very important, which is that in a way that, yeah, there are a few things that if you're doing them in the moment, then like one of the things that transformed my my coaching was a training course I did. And really what it was about was just letting go in the moment and listening to the intuition and the wisdom, wherever that comes from. And once yeah. you've like those two things together, like really loving and the client uh, and knowing that and trusting that they have everything they need inside them, they have the resilience, they have the creativity and all that. And then just letting go in the moment to the wisdom, like those two things together are like the difference between me when I was thinking really, really, really hard about how to coach during a coaching session and me once I'd made those two shifts was massive it's it's huge and and here's the funny thing robbie someone who's listening to this might go ah so what i need to do is let go and i need to love the client okay and uh, but here's the funny thing as soon as you know something at an embodied level you don't have to do anything like when i'm coaching people the things i'm doing you know just following my intuitions about what to do they're all informed by what you know so even those two things you know let go and uh love the client that's two more things than i want on my to-do list i don't want and I, i'm not criticizing it yeah, totally yeah, no, makes I get it, sense I get it. to me but i don't want to i don't want to have it when i'm with a client i don't or when i'm with a group for that matter i don't want to have anything on my to-do list i want to I just want to be there. And so that requires me to be a dumbass who doesn't know what's going to happen next. I don't, I like I'm a lot of times when I'm with a client, I'm like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. I'm like, and so, but it means I've, it's not that there's no structure because I still have a structure that I'm operating within, but the structure is designed to operate, offer maximum freedom to just respond to what's showing up. So my, to-do list when I'm working with a client has nothing on it. I know where I'm headed and that's it. I'm, and where I'm headed is into what I call an insight-friendly space. I want to I head into 
uh, which is, here's the funny thing. You know, the thing you said about you need to love the client and where I'm headed with the client is into a deep feeling of love and connection and clarity and possibility. So that's my destination, but I'm in no rush to get there. Like we'll get there how we get there. So I'm not even having it as a requirement for me to start there. I might start my session being annoyed at the client. Like who knows? I'll just be whatever's going on. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's useful feedback. Let's continue. So I, I want to have the clearest to do list possible as a coach and, and to have the clearest mind possible as a coach, because what that then offers up is the things that you were saying is a deep feeling of love and connection that emerges spontaneously because that's right there at the heart of our being and the, the space to pay attention to the guidance of intuition, wisdom, d intelligence, whatever you want to call it, as a coach, you will be guided. You're, you will be guided, but you kind of got to get out of the way for that to happen. So, yeah, yeah. Can I finish the story and then we'll... Yeah, I was going to take us back into the story. Like, go for it. You so, go. Well, you, well, you take well, us where, back. Where I was going to take us back to was, you know, you've got the salad is running, you're, and you're speaking to Michael about yeah. this, and you're having these insights. And I don't know yeah. if there are still if there's more insight that needs to be pulled out at this there's point. There's one more that is crucial, crucial. So first insight, probably January, February, 2009. Oh, everything you've been looking for outside of yourself, it's already inside you. Second one, March of that year. So while I'm hanging out with my buddies and listening to this recording, oh, everyone's already got, it. it's already there within them. Amazing. So I was still kind of like, still I'm kind of looking, I'm feeling off purpose. I'm, I'm enjoying this stuff. It's still, at that point, Robbie, this stuff still looked like an interesting technique or methodology to me. I was, still wasn't buying that it was all the things people were, but it was certainly the best thing I'd come across. It seemed like this is better than most of the stuff I've been exploring. And I'd been around the block a few times, right? Like I'd, I'd experimented with everything. And then in June of that year, I was out in LA, a small mastermind group, a friend of mine called Amy Mills, who I only met that weekend, uh, did a talk about the guy who wrote this book, did a brief talk about Sydney Banks and uh, the, the principles, and then played a video of, of Sid. Now, I'd never seen a video before, so I watched this video. I'm like, oh, there's, there was something there. There was a feeling. Went to sleep that night. I woke up the next morning, and I, I opened my eyes, and I was like, holy shit, this is principles for psychology. And I went, I, again, insight, I went from not knowing it to knowing it like I know my own name. And, and because I'm very future-oriented, I've got to, I instantly kind of saw the implications, just like germs had had, the discovery of germ theory had had huge implications for every human. I, I envisaged a world where just like you and me were born into a world where all the adults already knew about germs. So we we're washing our hands. And I envisaged a world where everyone, uh, all the adults already knew about this stuff. And so children are being born into a world where the adults already know there's nothing wrong with you. You already have an innate mental health and well-being. And I was like, oh, okay. So I called my office. I said, we're changing direction. We're doing a 180. There's principles for the field of psychology. We got to get uh, we got to get on with this show. This is this is this is the biggest thing. Uh, this is the biggest discovery in psychology of all time. So that that was it. Like boom, change on a dime. Um, 
I continued to run salad for another two years and then we sold it. Uh, and I've been doing this ever since. I, and that two years was learning about this and all that sort of stuff. And, and so it's, it's been, uh, that was like 2009. So it's been 11, yeah, it's 11 years. years. It's 11 years almost to the day since I had that third insight. Wow. And there's, there was the, I, lo- I love the story of the moment where there, where the hundred people are all like, this is impossible to sell. And you kind of knew it wasn't, I guess, cause you had sold stuff through salad really successfully, like ideas and, yeah. you know, showed you knew you must've known loads, had lots of experience about business by that point and about yeah. communication. And they had this massive mailing list and you clearly had the, uh, what would you even call it? Like the, you knew, right, that this was the place you were going to go and the work you were going to do. 100%. Again, I went from not knowing where what I was going to do next or anything to like, oh, this is it. Boom. Like, Why do you think, so one of the things, and I think it might, you might have said it in that workshop that I went to five years ago, um, that I occasionally, you, you've got good like uh, story and uh, coinage of phrases game. I think that's like a thing that you do really well, um, which is why I'm still saying this many years later. I think you said in that workshop, um, you know, you can tell when someone says, I know it intellectually, that they don't really know it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just such a useful phrase, yeah. right? And the difference between the embodied knowing and the intellectual knowing. Yeah. You know, it just strikes me that that's a little relevant, perhaps, to this sense that you read the book, right? Maybe twice. You read the book once, and it didn't get you. Several so, times. And then you met, you came back to it at least one more time, several times. Why? I mean, this is a hard thing, right? But this gets to the perhaps the heart of insight. Why did the insight land and why did it embody with you, do you think, or as your intuition say or wisdom say, in 2009 when it didn't before that? Well, here's how it looks to me. Like that the it looks to me like insight and realization is the only game in town. It's the only game in town. Like whenever most of the stuff that people claim to know, they just know intellectually. And if you want to look at what they really know. You just look at what they do because people's people all the actions people take are always aligned with their embodied understanding of life, of themselves, of a particular domain. That literally their embodied understanding is what determines what they all behavior and that sort of thing. And the thing that changes embodied understanding is what I call realization, which is just a $10 word for insight. But I use the word realization very specifically because if you, if you stop and think, can I tell a seemingly irrelevant story, but it'll paint it better. So of course I was working with a client once and this guy, uh, very successful, all this sort of stuff, but terribly anxious. Okay. And his, his anxiety was about, you know, what people thought of him. So he always had to be driving the right car and wearing the right clothes and really trying to present uh, uh, a an, an image of successfulness. And it was costing him. It was making him very unhappy and stressed and bothered. And he had this knot of fear in his stomach. So he's sitting down to work with him. I, he said, you know, I know, I know I shouldn't think so much. And everyone tells me I'm overthinking and I need to stop overthinking. Uh, and that I shouldn't think so much, but I just can't stop. And I said, well, no, you should be overthinking. And he's like, what? I said, well, yeah, you, you know, you wouldn't be doing that unless it made sense to do so. So you, it must make sense to do so. He's like, no, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure it does. And so, like I said, I'm pretty argumentative. So, 
So I said, sure, it does. I said, let me give you an example. He said, have you ever had that thing where you're, you know, maybe wandering around your flat or your house uh, late at night, it's dark, and uh, you, you catch sight of something and you think there's an intruder. And then it turns out to be like a coat on the back of a door or a pile of laundry or a, a lamp. Or, or something like that. But for a moment, you think it's an intruder. He goes, yeah, it happened to me yesterday, actually. I was sitting right here at my desk. We're doing this on Zoom. I was sitting right here at my desk, and I thought there was an intruder in the hallway, uh, but it turned out to be an ironing board. I was like, okay, got it. I said, now, when you thought it was an intruder, how did you respond? He said, well, my heart started pounding, adrenaline was racing through my system. My thoughts were going wild. He said, Got it. And that's told that makes total sense because that's an evolutionary response. That's the fight or flight response that has been designed to save your life in a dangerous situation. So that's exactly what should happen when there's an intruder in your house. I said, what happened when you realized it was an ironing board? He goes, I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. He goes, oh, relief. I said, right. Now that is the totally appropriate response to realizing that it's an ironing board. Okay. And here's the important question. I said, how did you change from being terrified, thinking it was an intruder, to relief and knowing it was an ironing board? I said, how did you do that? He goes, well, I didn't. It just happened. I said, what happened? He said, I realized it was an ironing board. I said, that's right. You have an innate capacity for realization. And that innate capacity has a specific evolutionary purpose, which is to bring your perceptions more closely into alignment with reality. And that's what happened. And while you believed that there was an intruder, you had every reason to be in fight or flight. And the moment you re realized that it was just an ironing board, your, your perceptions were brought more closely into alignment with reality and relief and peace was the result. I said, now, you've been living for years with this ball of tension and fear in your stomach because you've been believing in something that is not true. And my job as your coach is to help make it easy for you to have the realizations that bring your perceptions even more closely into alignment with reality so you can wake up to the truth of who you are, what you've got going for you, and, and enjoy your life. That capacity for realization, every human being has it. It's how we build models of the world. It's how we operate in the world. So why did it happen for me on that June morning in 2009? Well, I'd be reading stuff, but you know, so what? I had a realization. I glimpsed something that was already true. A realization isn't just, or an insight. It's not just a good idea. It's, it's seeing something that's already true. And the moment, as human beings, there's a, there's a book called uh, The Chimp Paradox. Uh, not to slag off the author, but I, I started reading and I, just, I got bored really, really fast. But he said something I loved at the beginning of it. He said, human beings love truth. I said, that's true. The rest of the book, not so sure, but that's absolutely <laughs> true. So that's my experience is that as soon as – see, here's the thing, Robbie. 
our minds are incredibly powerfully developed, uh, incredibly efficient, uh, and they want to save time and energy and they don't want to waste resources, right? As soon as the mind sees something that's closer to reality, boom, it's on it. It's, it immediately loses interest in what isn't true. The only reason people are, even someone with like OCD or schizophrenia or whatever, the reason they're caught up in that stuff is because it looks relevant. It looks important. So when people say it doesn't even make sense, I'm like, sure it does. When they're like, I know I shouldn't be smoking. I'm like, yeah, sure you should. Until it doesn't make sense to do so, you're going to do that because that's all you can do in line with your embodied understanding of reality. So it's it's uh, that's why it happened in that June. It's because I the the information wasn't in the book. Just like when I'm coaching someone and they have a big insight, the information isn't in me or my words or anything. It's inside them. It's inside them. So the reason it came out that day is because there was a big enough, I don't know, there was a big enough opening in my mind for me to glimpse something new. And that insight came from within. Same place it comes with, from with everyone. Hmm. Yeah. And so, Jamie, then it's then been 11 years since those insights came I in. know, like, right? Amazing. It seemed like yeah. a heartbeat. <laughs> right. And you've done all kinds of work over those years. One of the things and maybe we'll get to more of this a bit later on, but one of the things that I love about your work and that really captured, kind of caught my eye or, or, or felt, is like, is this belief and the way that you can see that there's, a, there's principles here that can really help, you know, you know th th that it could be the, the thing, it could be the same as germ theory, right? If we can just spread the words. And when you describe that as imagine if every parent, right? Imagine being born into a world where every adult knew that every child had everything they needed inside them. I think you said it more beautifully than yeah. that, but that's the idea, right? Like, yeah, what a, what a tomorrow to be working towards. And I guess what I want to like hear a little bit about is just how that, this is like a really like, uh, almost like, like shout, like small question, but to encompass something big, but how has that been going <laughs> over the last 11 years? <laughs> it's well, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's had its difficult bits and it's good bits. It's had a lot of challenges. Um, and I've learned a lot. So like when I first, when I first started doing that, um, like uh, with a lot of things uh, and you'll, you'll, uh, appreciate this as a coach, a lot of times it's, it's really a learning process and a, a process of peeling back the layer. Can I give you a really practical example? So I, um, for the first X number of years that I was doing that, but basically when, when everyone was telling me how difficult it was to get people interested in it. I'm like, no, you just don't understand how people are motivated. I said, you know, if you want people to get interested in something that they've never heard of and they're not even sure it exists, you got to start with what they're interested in and then educate them to the point where they see the relevance of this. So I started doing that. I started with, okay, let's, uh, let's start with coaches. Coaches want to have an impact on people. This understanding is the most impactful thing I've ever come across. So I bet if I show coaches that and tell them, hey, would you like to have more impact with your client? They'll be interested in that. They were. So that was good. So I checked. Then I thought, you know what? What's the biggest challenge most coaches have? Getting clients. Okay, I'll do a program for coaches on how to get clients. But here's the thing, Robbie. Here, I've seen this. I've seen it a million times. I'll I'll say uh, I'll say to a coach, uh, 
So what would you like to have happen? They say, well, I would love to have a full practice, lots of clients, that sort of thing. But I really, I struggle with marketing. I hate marketing. I hate selling. I, I don't understand it. I don't like it. And uh, I'm not confident that I can actually make a difference to people. And the funny thing is, as soon as people really know that they can make a difference to people, all of a sudden their fears about sales and marketing start to diminish. But I, I don't like marketing or I don't like selling or whatever is a much easier thing to say than for them to say that secretly they're afraid that they're not that good as mm -hmm. a coach. Now, here's the thing. Speaking to you as a coach, when I started coaching, I wasn't very good at it because every great coach starts out as a yeah, shit coach. Me too. <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes because while you can go on great courses and learn great stuff, a lot, you know, someone asked me, whose training courses have you learned the most from? I was like, oh, that's obvious, my own. Not because I'm so great, but because that's where you learn the most lessons is doing stuff and taking action, you know? It, so, so every great coach starts out as a shit coach, but a lot of people are scared to start out as not being as great as they're going to be because they know they'll get criticized or they'll feel bad or that whatever. So I just really wanted to take people on anyway. So that's what I did. I said, Hey coaches, would you like to, you know, learn how to grow a thriving practice? And that's sort what of people were like real interested. So and then did that. But here's what I found a couple of years ago. I realized actually, if you spoke to my clients, here's what would happen. They say, Oh, people would say, Oh, what have you been doing this year? Oh, I've been training with Jamie. It was amazing. It was brilliant. They're like, Oh really? What does he do? It's kind of hard to describe because people had come for one thing and then I'd educated them to the value of these principles and then they're interested in that. So what I did uh, last year is we launched something called Clarity Pro, which is just for people who want to bring this into their, into their, uh, into their work and you know, working with others and that sort of thing. Anyway, here's the relevant bit. I've tried launching different things over the years and the approach that I typically used was record videos and get them right and do them in the studio and send them out. And I, it was quite effective, but I found it boring as hell. I hate, I hate doing stuff to camera, just to camera. And that's sort what of I like being involved with people. So this time, because it was COVID, so everyone's at home. I said, you know what, rather than having to do these really tight 15 minute videos, I'm just going to run a masterclass series over four or five days. I'll get on there every night at six o'clock. I'll teach for an hour or so. I love teaching and the people who are a good fit for what I'm doing, they'll join and the people who don't like it, they won't. So I did that. Fucking loved it. Mm -hmm. Everyone loved it. We, we uh, got loads of people signing up for Clarity Pro before we closed the doors. I'm like, oh, great. Now what I've been teaching coaches for years is the more you can make your sales, marketing, all that, you know, client development process, the more you can make that like what you love doing anyway, the better it's going to be. So, but that's been a journey for me. Like I've already been doing that for years with my podcast because I know I love interviewing people. I love having conversations with people. So that's a great way for me to do something I love that gives benefit to people. But then I thought, well, I love doing coaching demos. So let's record coaching demos and release those for coaches to watch because people will watch. So now I've got people coming, signing up for programs going, I binge watched your, I had literally a guy the other, the other day, last, last afternoon of clarity certification. So everyone's coming on and saying, 
you know, for a minute or so about our journey. He goes, I asked a friend of mine, who could I watch online who would be a good example of coaching? And so my friend gave me, uh, pointed me at your website. He goes, and I binge watched all your, uh, binge listened to all your coaching demos. And before I'd even finished, I'm like, oh, you have to train with this guy. So he said, and I signed up for your program within days of first coming across you. Now, most people, it's longer than that. It's like, you know, certainly months or even years. We've got one guy on the program this year who had been following me for seven years, but hadn't done anything until he's like, you know what, I got to do this. So why do I say that? I would love every coach to know that the more you know in your heart, the more you have that embodied knowing that you have something really, really valuable for, to offer and that you can make a difference to people. And then the more you're able to find ways to kind of showcase that for people so that your marketing and enrollment and all of that is an example of what you love doing. The closer it is to what you already love doing, the better. Because after all, coaching is a conversation business, right? It's a, it's a relationship business. It's a conversation business. Your, your delivery system for coaching is conversations. So the more people can have an experience of what it's like to have a conversation with you, the more they're going to know. It's not the more they're going to like you. They may not like it at all, but the more they're going to know whether you're a good fit for them or not. Right. And um, yeah, I think there is like, it's just, it's worth saying that again, right? Isn't it? I think somehow it's like, because what that that guy is such a good example. <laughs> Love the story that he's just binge watched everything. It's 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 really great, and it shows you're doing something right. Because for the right person, like oh, it's just like ah, this is it, and then keep taking it, keep taking it, and then by the time they're speaking to you about joining the program, they know you, like you know, they yeah. feel like they do, and they they've already been coached by you because they've heard you coaching other people, and yeah. Well, and I think that's, we could talk about that now, because I think that distinction you just made is a really crucial one for coaches to understand today. Because when I first got into coaching, so 98, if you asked any successful coach, uh, maybe not the most successful, but all the people I asked, I said, how would you go about starting a practice? And they said, well, what do you want to do is you want to get a, a trifold. I said, what's a trifold? I said, well, a trifold is a, a piece of paper with all your details on it, and it folds in three, and then you put that in a therapy practice or wherever the rooms are, and then people can take that, and they can find out about you and decide whether they want to charge, come and pay you 50 bucks to work with you for an hour. And that was the business model that most coaches were using. I was like, oh my. And so I tried it. I'm like, this is a hard way to earn 50 quid. Uh, so, so I just thought about it. I thought, well, does that business model actually make sense? And from a business model perspective, it didn't make any sense, but that was well, just, just for people, cause you've got a great grasp of, of business, but like make it real for people. Why doesn't that business model make any sense? Well, so here's, well, cause I so learned we, this from yeah. you, right? And so I want, okay, you, to, I want you to say it. <laughs> so, so there's a, there's a, a bit of sleight of hand that gets pulled for, by a lot of people who are teaching coaching, hypnotherapy, therapy, NLP, that sort of thing. So what they do is they go, uh, how much do you earn? Uh, how much, what's, what's your hourly rate? You know, when you're, when you're working in your job and people say, you know, $20 an hour. Say, so, okay, what does the average coach or therapist or chain, you know, person in your area charge, you know, $60 an hour. 
Right. So you're, you're getting $20 an hour. If you were getting $60 an hour, then you'd only have to work a third of the time. You'd have a love. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Become a coach. And I'm like, well, that's not true. Like you, you, it's not like there's a business that's delivering clients to you. You got also got to build a business. So there's more to it than that. And so what I saw was that there are two things. This is oversimplifying, but it's still pretty solid. There are two things that have to be there before someone will hire you for coaching, therapy, anything like that. Number one, there's got to be relationship. And the, the level of that relationship, that, that person's got to know you and like you and trust you to a high level before they're going to sit and have a very, very personal, vulnerable conversation with you. They really got to know you. They really got to like you. They really got to trust you. Or they're not gonna. They're not gonna do it. They're not gonna do it. So that's number one. Number two, they've got to have a high perceived want or need or desire, a problem that needs solving, a goal they want to achieve, a change they want to make. They've got to have that, and they've got to be aware of it. And if they if they don't, why would they hire a coach? Why would they pay you? Uh, why would why would they go through the potential uh, discomfort of spending an hour in a deep conversation with someone? if they if there's not some motivation for doing it so in my opinion the two things you absolutely need to have to enroll a coaching client number one you got to have a strong relationship with them you got to have a high level of no like and trust number two they've got to be present to uh, a perceived want or need or desire that is also really important to them okay and if you've got both of those then you're in the trusted advisor kind of quadrant if you've got high level of relationship and high perceived wants or need you're the person someone calls uh, as a trusted advisor and when you're when you've got a high level I'll give you a quick example so i've got a, a client that i've worked with on and off for like 14 years or something and, and like at one point i didn't hear from him for seven years and then he gets in touch he said hey i've got this thing i want to very successful guy so he came to me, this is probably four years ago. He says, Jamie, come, I, I need some help with my team. I think they need some training. Things aren't quite right. Da, 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 da. So I come down, I sit with him. I'm asking what he wants. I'm going through it with him. Uh, and so we've got the relationship already. That's why I was his first call. But I'm trying to figure out what does he actually want? And so I, I get clear on this. Like, okay, I get what you want in your business and your team. So he's got like, I know a dozen people working for him at that point to yeah, all that stuff. I said, I'll, I'll go away. I'll come back to you with a proposal. So it got to the end of the week. I still hadn't done the proposal. I'm like, that's weird. So I let, I text him. I'm like, I'm, I'm running late with the proposal. Give me another week. And I'm trying to think, why haven't I, why am I struggling to come up with a proposal for this guy? And it suddenly hits me. It's like, he, his staff don't need training. He's missing a role in his business. He needs a project manager. He's missing a project manager. I could train the shit out of those guys and he would still have the same problem because he doesn't have a project manager. He doesn't have anyone on his team who has that skill set, doesn't have the right attitude. He's got great people doing sales and great doing product, but he doesn't have a project manager. And for the thing he was trying to accomplish, that's exactly what he needs. So that was that piece of training, if I was, I could have delivered that piece of training and he'd be happy with it. And then a year later, he'd say, oh, it was really great. Everyone loved it, but it didn't quite work. I said to him, I said, look, 
you need a project manager. You, you, they, it, I, I'd love to come in and train your team, but now's the not, not the right time. Go, go get a project manager. You get a project manager, this will be sorted out. Anyway, so he's like, thank you. So a couple of years later, uh, we had a chat and he was thinking, uh, before COVID, I used to do a life transformation retreat each year in the Canary Islands. So we take a small group of clients out to the Canaries. We spend a week in the sunshine and brilliant. And I had, he had expressed some interest. So I said, you know, do you want to join us? And he's like, nah, I, I don't like being in groups. I don't like that sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, okay. I think it'd be good for you. He's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't like being in groups. I'm like, fair enough. So then a week or two later, uh, he's texting me about some challenges he's having to do with purpose and fulfillment and this sort of thing. I get on the call with him. I say, listen, you know how if, you're if you ask your lawyer for advice and they give you a piece of advice and you say, well, I don't want to follow that. And you say, you don't have to follow it, but you ask me for my advice. This is my advice. If you don't follow my advice, you're an asshole because that's, you know, that's what you pay me for. He goes, yeah. He said, well, I advise you to come on this retreat. You've, you, based on what you've said, this will give you what you're looking for. Come, on, come and join us. I know you don't like with working with groups. I totally get it, but that's my advice. Now, understand, Robbie, my coaching isn't about advising people. But in this situation, you know, when you know, you know. So I'm like, you should do it. He's like, got it. Sign me up. I'll get, you know, I'll do it. So and, and that was that. But that's a function of a long term relationship, like really and, and demonstrating that I've earned the role of trusted well, and, advisor. And you built it by yeah. earlier telling him, actually, you don't need me right now. You need a project manager. Like what a great way to build trust is to really honestly, he knows that he can trust you at that point to tell him when he doesn't need to hire you. And yeah. I would have thought that would help him to also know that he can trust you when you tell him he does need to hire you. Yeah. And, and, and that, so it, it, how I think of it, Robbie is as what they call having fiduciary responsibility. So when you're in the trusted advisor role, you're taking responsibility for looking out for your client's best interests. So that's what I want to be doing in all my work. And again, the journey of earning that over time has been one where I've really had to look at my actions. And so not just on a one-to-one -one basis, but with marketing and all that. So what I realized is after a while, so I've been doing this thing of meeting people at what they want and then educating them in this stuff until what they want is what I do. Last year, for the first time ever, we put this stuff, the what I call the principles behind clarity. So this work front and center. So that's that's a shift for us as an organization, making that the main thing that we do. And so the thing I said about trusted advisor, I think is absolutely crucial for coaches. And Rome wasn't built in a day. But what I would say is the sooner you start looking to establish that, looking looking to let your your clients know, not by saying it, but by through your actions. Like I don't say to my clients, it's okay, you can trust me. Like that every that's not the thing that you want to demonstrate through your actions, through your honesty with them, through 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 calling them on their bullshit, by the way. Like if they're giving you shit or they're that's where they call them on it. That establishes your respect. What it what it signals is, oh, I care more about our relationship than I do do about what you think of me. Yeah. 
yeah that uh, that's it's really interesting that, that that's the phrase you use because i was just as you were talking about calling a client clients on their bullshit a particular client of mine came to mind it was i think we did a 12-month engagement you know his behavior said he really wanted something from this work because he signed up really fast the fastest i think anyone's ever signed up to a 12-month <laughs> engagement with me uh, <laughs> and yet he didn't show up a lot of the time he would cancel move sessions around and it was i remember i could feel the energy of the conversation where i said what the hell's going on with this stuff yeah. and it was that you know as for the for the, re- the remaining let's say 8 months of that engagement we both knew that that 30 minute conversation i think it was a 30 minute conversation that's where like almost everything happened and everything that came after that was because i called him on his bullshit and we sat with that and he realized and saw it and then behave, his behavior changed makes total sense to me can i tell you a story related to that yeah sure i was I was having a chat with a, a, a prospective client and we we're out for a walk. Okay. And as I was, but funnily enough, this connects to the creating the conditions for insight. And what was, what I noticed was he was, he was talking away and it, and I was getting bored. He's getting bored. <laughs> and after a while he's going on and on and on. Uh, and, and I, and in my head, I noticed I was starting to get a bit churlish. It's like, it's going to be my turn to speak. I'm a bit, bit, bit of a baby, okay? I'm like, mm-hmm. and, and, and like, I, I don't even know if I want him as a client. He's going to be like this. I'm going to be so bored. Da, da, da. So, so all of a sudden it occurs to me, Robbie, where do you believe your experience is coming from? And I'm like, it's like, do you believe it's coming from him? and how he's showing up and that sort of thing. I'm like, you know, I did, but no, I'm, you're, you're feeling, you're feeling your own experience. The, like my, my friend Sandy, she says, uh, the engine warning light in your car, that's telling you about your engine. It's not telling you about the other guy's engine. It's telling you about your engine. I'm like, Oh, and I just suddenly realized I'd been telling this story in my head about a boring client and when's my, all that stuff. I just fell out of that and I fell awake to the moment. Well, the funny thing is, as soon as I fell out of that, what I was present to, well, I didn't even think about it. I just grabbed him by the shoulder. I'm like, you know, I'm listening to you and it's, and it's more like I'm, I'm listening to your PR representative, but I can't feel you in this at all. Like was what came out of my mouth. And he goes, Oh God, that's the story of my life. And all of a sudden we're connected. So all the time that I was up in my head bemoaning the fact that I had a boring client, I was being of no help to him. And as soon as I just woke up to the moment, got back to reality, basically. like, And that was a realization. That was an insight. Like I had been wandering around in an illusion, an illusion of a boring client and the moment i woke up to oh no i'm the boring one i'm the one who's been boring myself and then boom i knew what to do well that's the same for you and that's the same for every coach we've we've got this innate capacity for wisdom and guidance and it's there ready to point us in the right direction but we go off into land la la land believing in a world that works in a different way and it's hard to calibrate from there and, and like, I, cause I don't think we've actually done it so far. I, I think it'd be really useful for people who are listening, who haven't read the clarity books or been on your mailing list, at the, you know, and, re- and read it in that way. Cause I think you're talking to it now that, you know, in a way the, the paradigm shift or a big part of the psychology paradigm shift. Um, and it would be great. You know, that, that sense that everything, our experience is thought 
taking form in the moment. I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit to bring that concept fully into the into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I want to do one thing first that it, I recommend to all coaches at, at, at a high level, and it's this. As a coach, I always want to be completely present with the person I'm speaking with, uh, which means if I need a pee, I excuse myself and go take one. I need one now because I want to be very present with you. So I'll Perfect. see you in one minute. Hello. I went to. My my boiler is just switched on. It take There we go. It's just switched off. It just makes rather a loud noise. Just give it a moment. Yeah. I'll polish my glasses. So yeah, you. Uh, I'm. Uh, your question was about so kind of lay out a, a couple of things. I want to lay out. One is yeah. kind of the, the clarity model that we're talking about, but I also want to lay out what I call the calibration model, which is the answer to the question. So how do you make it easy for your clients to have insights mm. and realizations? But I'll start with the the first bit, and and this is a really. It's one of the so I just to backtrack a bit. So if I was to kind of run you through my, um, how I think about what I do and what I'm about and what motivates me, I, I ought to be clear that I, I, it's funny. I, I was, oh, I think I told you the story that I'd been unpacking the thing and I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not just building a coaching business. I'm trying to, I'm trying to create a new field. I'm trying to, so I've, I've coined terms like I coined the, the, my term for what I'm going to be telling you about, the phrase I use is subtractive psychology, because you know you've heard of positive psychology, and basically positive psychology says, well, if you think this way and challenge these thoughts and that sort of thing, you can get better results. Well, subtractive psychology says people don't need more to think about. So subtractive psychology is something that you can learn that just takes stuff off your mind automatically, so that you can focus on doing what's important to you. So that's the idea of it. So I call it subtractive psychology. And the learning process, if you like, is it's insight-based. So what I'm the basis I'm working on, Robbie, if you if we got a, a an the average four-year-old and the average 24-year-old and the average 44-year-old. We could throw in the average 74-year-old for good measure. Who do you think would exhibit the best mental health? Yeah, I mean, almost every four-year-old is, a, is, is free, aren't they? And yeah. um, kind of joyful. Uh, you know, and except when they're not, and, and that, yeah. you know, but that's okay as well. You got it. They, in general, they tend to be you know, creative. They tend to find lots of things funny and fun. They're... Uh, have a lot of high levels of well-being. They're very flexible. Now, I'm not saying everyone should be like a four-year-old. There are lots of things that are annoying about four-year-olds as well. But but there's a freedom of mind that we're born with, which, like, if you think about it, if the average, uh, if you were to follow uh, the average four-year-old around, they would seem like they were mad. Like one minute they're happy and they're contented. The next minute they're freaking out. They're so angry. And then the next minute they're laughing their head off. Like if, if we did that as adults, people would be like, you know, call the, call the people with the white nets. But, but, what, but what they never do is uh, have something happen to them and then spend the next six days, weeks or years like getting miserable because of the thing. Yeah, because they at that age, at four years old, they don't yet have a game plan for how they believe life works that they're counting on. They they intuitively know that 
they don't know much about the world. And so they haven't yet built a model of reality that they are betting the farm on. They've got a model of reality because they're updating it every day and that sort of thing, but they're, they're very open to new, compared to the average adult, they're very open to new information because they know, you know that, that their models of reality are provisional. They, they know at an intuitive level. I'm not saying any four-year-old knows the word provisional, but, but they, they know at an intuitive level that, oh, your model of reality is going to be updated a lot in the days ahead. So don't get too attached to any one version of it because they see it changing all the time as they get new information and that sort of thing. And then in certain subject areas, on certain topics, at certain stages in life, we go, okay, I get how this works now. I'm, I'm good to go with that. I've got a model of reality. Well, my, my assertion is that our most fundamental models of reality that most of us have been schooled in and get reinforced through everything from media to uh, parents to politics to religion to all these things is fundamentally false. Like as, as, as false as the idea that the earth is flat. Like there used to be a time when people believed that the earth was flat and not just believed that the earth was flat. They knew that they knew just like we know that the earth is spherical or is a, what do they call it? An oblate spheroid. Just like, just like you and I, we know <laughs> the world is an oblate spheroid. Exactly. Or we a, do. We do. Or, or a spheroid oblate, void, something <laughs> like that. They used to know that the earth was flat. Uh, until not so long ago, people knew that disease was caused by a variety of factors. So I have a, I have a journal article from the New England Journal of Medicine from the early 1800s. Now, the, for anyone who doesn't know, the New England Journal of Medicine is one of the most highly regarded medical journals in the world. Like it's up there with The Lancet. So this is a top medical journal, and it has been a top medical journal for a long time, and it was a top medical journal in the 1800s. Anyway, in this article from the 1812 edition of the New England Journal of Medicine, it was an article about a, a horrible, horrible disease called childbed fever. And childbed fever at the time uh, used to, it, it afflicted primarily women who gave birth in hospitals. And for women who gave birth in hospitals, uh, one in four women would get childbed fever and it would result in the death of the mother or the child or both. So it was a real scourge, like it was killing and disfiguring lots and lots of women. And this, so it was a, a lot of people were trying to figure out how can we solve this. So I've got this article from the New England Journal of Medicine, and this was about the causes of childbed fever. And said, well, here are some of the things that cause childbed fever, according to the article's author. Uh, bad smells, uh, long journeys, vigorous exercise, the weather, the psychological state of the mother. That, that, so there was a list of between eight and 10 things that they said that the combination of these things is what caused childbed fever. There's one thing that wasn't on the list. At, at the time, the doctors did a lot of autopsies. And so they would do autopsies on, you know, they would cut open course, corpses and study the, all the things that were going on. And then they would go. So now at the time, uh, one of the kind of badges of honor of being a surgeon was that you could handle the stink of the operating theater because doctors' surgeries were 
disgusting. They were, they, they were really, really filthy. They stank. And part of being a surgeon was that you could handle the stink of the operating theater. So, so surgeons would do, they would perform autopsies and then they would go and uh, deliver babies, cut the umbilical cord, perform internal examinations without washing their hands. In fact, they were offended at the idea that they should wash their hands. And so they were, they were introducing corpse matter uh, into, uh, uh, into their patients. And the, uh, this was, they, they weren't aware of germs or bacteria. So none of this was on the list of causes. They just didn't know it. The one thing that was causing childbed fever, uh, also known as preparic fever, the one thing that was causing it was bacteria on the hands and instruments of the doctors, but it was invisible to them. They didn't even know about it. So they were, they were, so anyway, this guy called Ignat Semmelweis realized it. Uh, and by the beginning of the 20th century, like between 1880 and 1900, germ theory went from being this fringe wacko theory to being the standard orthodoxy for medicine. And, and, uh, among other things, like increases in hygiene and that sort of thing, has added an average of 30 years to the average human lifespan. So, as human beings, we have these models of the world, the way we believe life works. And then there's how life actually works. The, the uh, epistemologist Gregory Bateson said, uh, the major problems in, in the world are the result of the difference between how life already works and the way people believe it works. And you can look at the kind of evolution of human knowledge as being a process of closing the gap between how life already works and the way we believe it works. So we used to think that the earth was flat. Oh no, it's spherical. We used to think that the earth was the center of the solar system. Guess what? Uh, that's why it's called the solar system. I guess they didn't call it that back then. Uh, <laughs> what did they call it? How, who knows? Yeah. Uh, they, we, we used to believe that illness was caused by atmospheres and, uh, and all kinds of stuff. Nope. We, we used to also, but as we, as our understanding of reality gets closer to reality, we wake up and the thing that brings it closer to reality is insight. So the, the fundamental, the two central facts of my work are number one, how experience is created, and number two, who we really are. So let's start with how experience is created. In, in the 1850s, a guy called Hermann Helmholtz, who's kind of the grandfather of neurology, he first figured out that we don't experience reality directly, that rather we data pours in through our senses, and then our, our brains take a guess at what must be out there for me to be receiving this data. And then it creates an inference. It creates a, an internally generated guess at what's going on in the world. Now, what do I mean by an internally generated guess? You've had, you've had this experience. You're walking down the road. You see a friend of yours. You start waving at them. They get a little closer. It turns out it's not them. And then you pretend to scratch your face or whatever. Well, it's not like you were walking down the road and you're like, you know what, 50% chance, that's Jimmy. I'm going to start waving like an idiot. No, you saw them. You saw them. You're like, oh, there's my friend. I'm looking at my friend. You start waving at them and they get a little closer. It's like, not who I thought it was. That's because the person you saw 
was being generated internally. And then when you get a little closer and you see it's actually someone else, that's being generated internally as well. And just to put the final point on it, look around the room you're in. Everything you can see. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a room around you. There's something there, but God knows what it is. But the room that you can see is an experience that's being generated from within your neurological and psychological properties. They reckon it's this region of the brain back here. So everything you can see and hear and feel is actually an internally generated experience. Now, I'm not saying you're creating your own reality. No, you're not. Like, like that's created by the Evian company. I have nothing to do with it. But I'm creating my own experience of reality. Now, what I mean by my own experience, the moment-to-moment -moment perceptual reality that you're walking around in is an internally generated hologram. There's a great TED Talk by a guy called Anil Seth. I think the title is How Your Brain Hallucinates Reality. It's worth every coach checking it out because you're literally, the, the phrase he coins, which I think is brilliant, he says, you're living in a controlled hallucination. For any of your listeners who have ever done LSD or magic mushrooms or ayahuasca, you will know that hallucinations can seem really real. Well, when you're asleep and dreaming, dreams can seem really real. And the very same processes that allow you to dream while you're asleep, those are the same things that are creating your perceptual reality right now. I know it seems like we're looking out through little holes in our head at a world out there, but a quick inspection or a look at an anatomy textbook will reveal that there are no holes in your head. There aren't windows. You're not a little person inside your skull looking out at the world. You are living in an internally generated perceptual reality. And this is old fashioned science. It's like 150 years old, 170 years old. It's just that neurology hasn't taken it to its obvious extreme, which is that this is, uh, this is how we're creating our experience of the future, of the past. Like if you stop and think about it for a moment, Bobby, I mean, here's a simple metaphor. Everyone either had the experience of or knows someone who had the experience of having a teddy bear when they're a little kid. So teddy bears or, you know, security blankets or whatever, or what parents give to little children when they're going through transitional stages. Uh, and, and often the child will get a feeling of comfort and peace and well-being when they're holding on to their teddy bear. And, and that's why they call it security blankets, right? It, it, they get a feeling of security. But a quick analysis will reveal that 100% of that feeling of well-being and security is coming from within the child, and none of it's coming from the bear. Like the teddy bear, it's full of stuffing. It doesn't have anything in it that can create uh, a feeling of peace and well-being. So the child is experiencing a sense of peace and well-being and comfort and security, and that's coming from the heart of their being. It's coming from within the child. And then they're attributing it to the teddy bear. So the teddy bear is getting the credit. The child's doing the work, but the teddy bear is getting the credit. Blanket's getting the credit. Similarly, if you go on a holiday and you forget to bring the teddy bear home with you, and the child's freaking out, 100% of that freak out is coming from within the child. The teddy bear is neutral. It's got nothing to do with it. But the child's attributing the freak out to a teddy bear deficiency. It's, it's, it's a trick of the mind. Well, we all understand that as adults. Yeah, sure, the teddy bear's got no special powers. It's, it's, it's a stuffed bit of cloth. 
But the child's ability to create a perceptual reality means that they're attributing that peace, security, well-being to the bear. So we all know that makes sense. Then we look at as adults and we look, we look at where we think the adult teddy bears are different, like a job. Wow, that gives me a feeling of security or money. That gives me, you know, security or success or whatever. Or my partner, they make me feel loved or all that sort of stuff. Well, all of that's a trick of the mind too. See, we're living in the experience of what I'm going to call the principle of thought, which isn't the thoughts that run through your head. It's this power to create a perceptual reality, real time, right now, moment to moment to moment, and experience it as real. It's the power to see your friend walking towards you down the street, then realize it's not them. Like That's an incredible power to create a perceptual reality in all five senses and experience it as an actual reality. That power is so incredible that it has people believing that they're broken for years. It has them believing that they... like. I was asked to do a, uh, I, I, I wasn't asked to do it. I asked myself, would you like to do this? And I said, <laughs> yes, so I did it. I, I did a talk earlier this year, about a couple of weeks into the whole lockdown and COVID thing called, I can't remember the exact name, but something like uh, navigating in times of uncertainty, turbulence, and that sort of thing. And my starting point for that was there's less uncertainty so COVID had broken out. It's like, oh, it's a pandemic. So like, okay, there's less uncertainty now than there was a month ago. And everyone's like, what do you mean? A month ago, everything was fine. I'm like, no, it wasn't. This was in the post. But you had the illusion of certainty. Now we're way closer to reality. That you, you had all kinds of ideas about what 2020 was going to be like, but they were bullshit. You were smoking your own supply. 2020 was going to be like this. So you used to have the illusion of certainty. Now you're way, way closer to reality. They said, well, I feel more uncertain. It's like, well, that you're feeling the principle of thought taking form in the moment. You're not feeling your levels of certainty. Like if, if anything, if, if, if your feelings were telling you about uh, what you can be certain of. They, you should have felt way more uncertain when you were lost in a made-up illusion. But yeah, no, you, you're, uh, you're closer to reality now. So, so and this is, this is, you know, I, I know and work with a lot of coaches and therapists and change workers. The, one of the big differences I've seen for people who are doing the package model, which we started talking about, because you asked me, I never really finished that. We can finish it up. Mm-hmm. My, my kind of thing is, if you want to build a, a coaching practice and build a business as a coach, you need that know, like, and trust. Now, here's the thing. If someone's going to, so my starting rate for my CEO intensive is 30,000 pounds. So that's my entry level coaching package. Well, if someone's going to work with me for a year and spend 30,000 pounds to work with me, they've really got to know and like and trust me. But here's the thing. If someone's going to work with me for an hour and, or if someone's going to come on one of my training courses, they've still got to really know and like and trust me and have something that really matters to them before they'll work with me for an hour. And the thing is, I can't do much in an hour. I mean, like I can when I'm doing a coaching demo, but I know if I want to create real transformation with people, I want to have the time to stretch out. I want to have the time to really get to know each other and and help them make those changes. And I want to, it's funny, Robbie, often People will say, I can't do coaching packages because I don't like selling. And I I tell them about one of my old uh, personal trainers, like fitness trainers. 
I would go along to him and I would do a session with him and we do a session. He was a great trainer. He's really good. And then we get to the end of the session and get his notebook out and go, so uh, do you want to book another session? It's like I was paying, I don't know, 50 or 60 quid each time. He was having to sell me every single time I went to him. So I said to him, you should do a package model, man. He's like, oh, I don't like selling. I'm like, you sell me every week. And it, I, I'm embarrassed for you. Like, you don't need to go through that. Do it once. And like, Because the cool thing is, Robbie, when someone enrolls with me, like it's a longer process typically to get to the point where they, you know, invest. Yeah, how long, at, at that level, how many conversations or weeks okay, or months? It just, it, it just depends. Just so some, depends, yeah. it, it well, depends. Because some of them have been, have been listening to your podcast for five years already. Yeah, yeah so let's talk, talk about that. The, the, a lot of times, see, especially in the online world, what I'll, I'll have a phenomenon. I'll, I, I remember doing a training in 2014. So big group training, probably 100, 150 people in the room. So it's one of the breaks. And this woman, who I swear I've never seen her before in my whole life, she comes walking across, like I'm standing in the room. She comes, makes eye contact with me, comes walking towards me. She goes, Jamie, like we're long lost friends, right? So she comes walking over to me. I'm like, hi, I've never met you before. Hi. And she's like, oh, my name's Mary. So I give her a hug. And I said, so clearly you know me better than I know you. She's like, yeah, I've been listening to you for seven years. I've listened to all your podcasts. I've watched all your programs. This is the first time I've met you in person, but it's great to know you. Well, I, my first experience of this, I had a, I, the first product I ever created was a CD set back when you did things on CDs. So this guy came to one of my trainings. I said, hi, how are you doing? He's like, I, I'm Andy. I already know you really well. I'm like, oh, tell me more. He goes, well, I have a two-hour commute to and from work, and I bought your product. I've been listening, it, so listening to it every day for the last 30 days. I can now repeat the whole six-hour program verbatim. I'm like, okay, you've listened to that more than I have. And it suddenly, I suddenly realized, Robbie, People start building a relationship with you in your head long before they meet you. And so the internet offers us all kinds of ways to make that easy for people to do. So for instance, I've got podcasts. People listen to the podcasts. I've got videos. I've got books they can read or articles they can read. And everyone, no one wants to, like, I could say, here's my path that you need to go up. No one's going to do that. They're going to do it in the way they feel like doing. And they're going to they're gonna engage in different ways. So by the time someone, so I'll give you, give you an example, the, a client that I'm doing an intensive with in two weeks, he had, I think he maybe read my book. I can't remember his exact story. Listened to a bunch of stuff ended up coming on clarity certification. So he's been working with me for seven months and he was talking in that program about some of the stuff he was doing. This guy's a very successful businessman. I said, can we have a one-to-one -one conversation? I want to run some stuff past you. So get on the phone. I say, here's what I'm thinking. I don't know what the next step is for you. I said, but it might make sense for you to work with me. It might make sense for you to work with me. So here's what I propose. Let's have a conversation and uh, I'll find out about what you're wanting to have happen in the world, what you're wanting to, you know, bring into being. And at the end of that conversation, if it makes sense to, I'll offer to come back to you with some ideas about how we can work together. Does that seem fair enough? And he's like, yeah, sure. Now, so this is someone who already knows me. They're, they're all, we've already got, he's been on a, at that point, he's been on a program with me for five months, uh, you know, two days a month, calls in between, all that stuff, group program. So he's, 
he's really immersed. He, he knows me well. He knows that I'm on to something that I, that I can, he knows that I can deliver the goods. He knows that I can. So he's already, I'm already in fiduciary relationship, ter- trusted advisor territory with him. So then our enrollment conversation is just about, does it make sense? I come back to him with a proposal, which was, he's, he's been very open about this with the people who are in the coach training group. So I know I'm okay to share it with you. Uh, the proposal was a, a package for 35,000 pounds, including a three-day intensive, a certain amount of follow-up sessions over the course of a year, some strategy sessions and that sort of thing. Because I Whenever I'm working, so I'll go back to my five questions. What does the client want? So I'll spend a bunch of time with them getting clear on what do they want. But then the second question is, is that something I can help them with? And I'll give you give you an example of this. I was uh, having an initial enrollment conversation with a guy who had reached out to me. So he'd very, very successful businessman, like a hundred business in multiple countries, hundreds of millions in turnover, that sort of thing. So he got his agent to reach out to me, which is a bit, but whatever. And uh, uh, so I get on the call with him and I'm just doing my, you know, what do you want? Wave a magic wand, all that sort of stuff. And I really dig into it with him. I mean, and what he said is he, that he wants to build a, a billion dollar brand. Now I'm not a branding coach, right? I know a little bit about branding, but if you've, if you've got a business turning over hundreds of millions and you want to build a billion-dollar brand, you hire a branding consultancy, right? But I dig into it. I'm like, well, what, you know, if you had the billion-dollar brand, what would that do for you? He's telling me, he's telling me, he's telling me. Where we get to? He's like, what would that give you? He goes, I guess what it would give me is I get to the end of my life and I would know that I'd done what I was here to do and I would be happy and fulfilled and feel like I... Uh, was complete and had lived the life I was here to live. I said, well, I love that. I said, I love that. I said, I'm going to tell you something. And based on what I tell you, you're going to know one of two things, either that I'm a great coach for you and we should work together, or I'm a terrible coach for you and we shouldn't work together. And I don't know what the answer is. So I'm going to tell you this thing and then you'll know. It was okay. I'm, I'm intrigued. I said, well, if, if we were to work together, Here's what we do. We get together for three days for starters. And what I would be working with you on is has almost nothing to do with your business. I would be getting you working with you to help you get to the point where you realize that everything you've just been telling me about in terms of that feeling of well-being and fulfillment and success and okayness, that you you don't need to wait to the end of your life for that. I want you to start having that now and having that today and tomorrow and every day of your life. And then once you realize that you've already got that in your business, you're going to do whatever makes sense. Now, what makes sense to you once you realize that that carrot isn't something to chase, that you've already got it. So once you realize that, once you know that for sure in your own heart, then what makes sense to you in your business is going to be different. Now, it might be exactly the same. It might be to, to build a billion-dollar brand, or it might be to build a trillion-dollar brand, or it might be to sell your existing business and travel the world with your company or with your family, or it may be to start a charity. I don't know what's going to make sense to you once you realize you already have what you've been searching for. 
But if we work together, that's where we'll start. And then we'll spend the rest of our time together, you know, navigating that and normalizing that and getting it so that you discover what makes sense in your business going forward. It's like, I'm in. That makes sense to me. But here's the thing. He might just as easily, Robbie, have said, you know what? That sounds terrific, but what I need is a brand consultancy. And that would have been fair enough too. I'd still be telling the story, okay? Because because I, now it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I'm evil, even able to answer that second question. Is that something I can do? Like I want to know. So if if what he wants is a billion dollar brand, well, I can't do that. That's that's gonna that's gonna be him to do that. But what can I do? I can do the thing that I said. So and I'll be really clear with people. I never want to be trying to promise them something that that I can't deliver or anything. So I'll even write it into the contract. Like here's what I can promise. Here's what I can't promise. All that sort of stuff because I want to feel like to me coaching is an amazing profession. I want to feel great about what I'm doing and I want to be. I, and I want people to know that they can trust me. I want, but I, the only way I can do that is by demonstrating it and being real and authentic and, and in a way, risking the relationship by say, saying what they may not want to hear or saying what may not cast me in a good light, but at least being, being true to what, uh, what I can, what I can offer. Ah, oh, Jamie, that's, uh, it's in a way that feels like we, you know, we're coming up to the time we've got, that feels like a beautiful place to it feels like it really sums up like who you are and the way you do your business and also some really important principles for coaches and um you know and i'm aware that there's a real generosity to you in your work like you can hear it in the way you're talking to these clients and i'm really you know remembering that from um you know from having received these things before and really grateful for this time that you've given and the, the wisdom you've shared and there's just some beautiful things in there and I love hearing that conversation, particularly this this last one with the client, because it just really brings together what it's like to be playing in that in that space that you talk about. Um, before we finish, I guess, is there anything that's coming up or anything that we haven't covered and touched on that you want to talk about? I feel like we could have had another two hours, like double clicking on different bits of this conversation or going different ways. But you know, is there anything like that that is really important that you want to bring into this conversation and? you know, where would you send people? I'm sure lots of people who listen will be really interested in learning more about your work and mm. the books are one place and there might be a particular one that you'd recommend people start with, but there might be, could just be your website. Where, where should people go who want to learn more? Okay. So for coaches, if you wanted to start with a book, either results or the little book of results is a great place to start. And the reason you start there is they're my most recent book. So I'm clearest on how to talk about this stuff there, but also I, I structured and designed these books uh, based on three transformations. Uh, so that the first transformation is what I call your, uh, your personal transformation. It's your understanding of life. The second one is your interpersonal transformation. So your, your, how you relate to others, which is obviously super important for coaches. And then the third one is your commercial transformation. So I, I, came up with those three transformations. I, I have a program I run called the Thriving Coaches Blueprint. And those are the three transformations we go through in that program. So it's one month, one month for each transformation in that sequence. But so I, I first ran that program at the beginning of 2015. I tested it with like a dozen groups going through it before I wrote results. So it, that tried and tested program for helping coaches go, because my, my audience for that program is coaches who 
want to move to a package model and either don't know how to do it or are doing it but want to take their game to the next level or maybe they've got some clients but they want to build it into a business. So as I had the opportunity to tr test out all three transformations and to refine and tune it. So that's in the book's results, little book of results. Um, I've got a 12-week coaching immersion coming up kicking off at the end of September. So we're running the Thriving Coaches Blueprint. So if members of your audience are already working as coaches, already seeing paying clients, Thriving Coaches Blueprint is a great way of uh, increasing your income and increasing your impact and basically building out your coaching business. For people who aren't quite at that stage, uh, so maybe they're already, uh, they're in an employment situation, but they're wanting to transition, we also, as part of the 12-week coaching immersion, we do a thing called the Career Transition Blueprint. So if you're a little earlier in the journey, uh, but we have we have both groups together because there's so much, it's so great to have people who are aspiring to be coaches in the same group. It's my favorite audience to work with. I love being able to, just being able to share what I've seen and shortcut the process. You know, I, I'm, I feel very lucky to have kind of, stumbled across and managed to figure out a bunch of these things. So like I said earlier, my biggest, the thing I love most is coaches showing me how they've taken what they've learned and put it into practice. Even hearing from you at the beginning of this, that, yeah, you came on my thing in 2015 and you're still using it. I'm like, right on. I love that because hmm. my job is kind of as a guide. It's This isn't kind of the story of how heroic I am. It's the story of how heroic my clients are. I want, I want to see my clients shining and taking this stuff out into the world and really having an impact. So Thriving Coaches Blueprint is all about helping client, helping coaches get you know, more clients, have a bigger impact with them and build a thriving practice. So that's kicking off in uh, the end of September. We've got 48 places available on that. We haven't opened the doors for it yet, but people are interested. Go to jamiesmart.com forward slash thriving and you'll see a bit about, about the program. Um, also, it's worth checking out the Clarity Life community on Facebook. Uh, go there, just ask to join. We add you for free. But I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be creating a bunch of free material in support of the launch of the Thriving Coaches Blueprint in that group. So I'll be doing free. So if, if, if your experience of this podcast is, man, he talks way too much, don't join that group. <laughs> basically, my masterclasses will be me doing this or coaching people. So we're going to do that in that group. So that'll start in a couple, I'm off on holiday next week. That'll start in a, in a couple of weeks time. So yeah, Clarity Life community on Facebook, that's worth checking out. My podcasts, the Thriving Coaches podcast, there are loads of coaching demos on there. There's stuff about growing your practice lots of stuff on there or the get clarity podcast just has more general conversations in it and then the the big one each year is my clarity certification training we uh kick that off in january each year so it's literally six months from today it starts six months from today but here's the wild thing you asked me i can't remember if it was before we started but mm -hmm. you're asking me about covid and what i said to you robbie is the program starts in six months and we're already half full. We only, we're only making 36 places available on that program. And the first 17 have got, as of today, the first 17 have gone. So that'll sell out. Um, but you asked, is it something to do with COVID? And I think it is. And here's why two, two reasons. Number one, when lockdown started, I heard from one coach and therapist after another saying that their practice had disappeared overnight. 
And I said, oh, yeah, let me ask you something. Do you charge by the hour or are you on packages? Every single one of them charging by the hour. I do everything on packages. Not one of my coaching clients has uh, has uh, canceled. Not one of my courses has been like we were we were uh, two modules into the clarity certification training this year when lockdown started. But I'd already moved the whole business online. So it's like we're all we've been doing online training for eight years. So we're already set for it. And the reason that's important coaching is getting almost more and more coaching is getting delivered online. So you want to learn how to do it in the online context. That's the way to learn it. So I think people are seeing the truth of that. Everyone whose business, every coach who's been, and I know people have been messed up. I, my heart goes out to them. And I asked them all, do you charge packages or, on, or by the hour? They were all charging by the hour. The only business we lost is we were starting a thriving coaches blueprint in, uh, like March and we were still within, we offer a 30 day refund period on everything. And all, almost all the coaches whose businesses had dried up, they canceled and asked for a refund, which I totally understand practical. But the irony of it is they were there to learn the thing that would make it. So that didn't ever happen again, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so the people who went through the program are building practices and that sort of thing. So it's, there's an irony in that. Um, anyway, so you asked, is uh, is something to do with the program being half full already? Something yeah, different. Yeah. I think it is. I think people are seeing that the world is changing, and the people who kind of saw it early started doing this stuff and and moving in the direction of their dreams earlier. And people who were kind of waiting a little longer or thinking, "Yeah, I'll do that one day," are suddenly going, "Oh, okay, actually, it's time. It's time. Now's the time." Nice. And yeah, I think there's something really interesting about that. You know, if we had another two hours, I would want to talk about the world as a whole and, you know, how the principles that you work with, but also, yeah, what what you're taking it all is. And I think that's totally right. I think there's a bunch of people now waking up to the kind of, COVID has woken them up in different ways. There's a lot of realizations happening over the course of the last, what, six months or whatever it is it is now, and there'll be more to come. Um, But look, Jamie, it's been such a pleasure, um, like, Maybe we'll have another conversation on another time where we can get into loads more and there were all kinds of uh, different avenues we could have gone down, but really appreciative of the generosity of your time. And I'm sure that in five years, someone will be coming up to you and saying, do you know, there was this thing I once heard you say on a podcast with that guy Swale and, um, (laughs) you know, or at least I hope so. I look forward to it. Um, So look, thanks so much. Thanks, Robbie. Great to connect with you. 